Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are talking all about episode three of The Bad Batch called Replacements. This episode aired on May 14th, 2021, and it was written by Matt Miknovitz, and it was directed by Nathaniel Villanueva. And... Whew, this episode was a lot. Back on my on our regular schedule of waking up early to watch Star Wars on a Friday morning, and <laughs> this came for the feels. And again, things hit a little harder when you're just ingesting coffee for the first time so in the morning. True. So true. But honestly, I rewatched it later today, and it mm-hmm. hit just as hard. It's it did. pre-coffee, post-coffee. post-coffee. <laughs> it's a very emotional episode. and It is. I can't believe we're only like 10 days into the Bad Batch. (laughs) And here we are with this. You described it on our TikTok channel as soft. And what did you say? Soft. It was in this order. It goes soft, dark, soft, dark, and then soft again. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly how it is. It just really threw me through the emotional ringer. It was so good, though. I really loved it. I'm so excited to talk about it right now. Yeah, I feel like... This episode, one, right, the emotional beats of it were uh, the roller coaster was up and down all throughout in kind of like a really great way, I think. And then also, I thought it looked really great, too. Like the shots and stuff of it, it looked very crisp. I don't know. It stood out visually a lot to me, especially, you know, being back on Onderon. I think even some of those scenes looked a lot better than even in the premiere episode. And of course, I don't. Did they say what planet they were on? <laughs> with, uh, but wherever Hunter and Omega were kind of going through that planet, I thought. I mean, they were on a moon. I just want to interrupt you and say there was a, it was it was a moon. A moon. Okay. The lighting there, I thought looked really great in the design. I, I don't know. I just really liked the visuals of this episode too. I thought it all worked really nicely. And of course, we're going from like a lot of dark spaces, honestly, throughout this episode, and then we end the episode on this like warm glow of (laughs) Omega's little hideaway (laughs) her bedroom with the fairy lights and and everything and it's literally a warm glow anyway okay I loved it I thought the pacing of this episode was so good and I feel like you're touching on that by like oscillating between the light and the dark and the light and the dark and the light and the dark and it was switching because the lighter scenes were with the darker characters and the darker scenes are with the like like the bad batch yeah yeah the bad batch yeah exactly and it's like it's interesting because i feel like that was playing with our mind a little bit and then at the end to end on like such a warm glow you're so right but i felt like this episode clipped by so fast but also felt like an hour in this weird way it It felt so full i feel like there's a little bit of like okay each week we were going to be watching a 20 to 25 minute star wars episode right now we know that this series is going to be 16 episodes and that feels like a really long time and there's just a lot of ground to cover i suppose in terms of story for a season and that again feels like a really long time and if we keep getting episodes like the three that we've already gotten i feel like those 16 weeks are going to go by so fast and it's going to be over before we know it because of how good these episodes are i was astounded actually by how well produced this episode and directed this episode was in terms of pacing in terms of characters i felt like it hit the emotional beats i wanted it to hit it answered some questions we had from the first two episodes almost immediately and it did the thing that star wars resistance did that i really appreciated something that we talked about a lot And I never was able to fully put this into words, but 
I felt like it never fell into the conventions of like misunderstood communication or anything like that. At least that's how I felt about resistance. It was like the characters said what they needed to say, except for like a couple of characters, obviously for plot reasons. But our question of why don't they miss crosshair? Like, are they thinking about crosshair? It was like, no, that was immediately answered right away. And it's clearly on their mind and they're thinking about it and they each have like different opinions about it. And I don't know. I felt like most of the things I was wondering about last time were answered this time. And I'm just really thankful for that. And I really do feel like this show is on a really good trajectory. Yeah, I think so too. And I think that progressively each episode has become my favorite yeah Uh, you know of course initially it was episode one and then episode two I was like yeah that that is exactly my kind of ish you know what I mean but this episode this one's my favorite right now (laughs) I mean same I actually think this one is the strongest episode of the three which is saying a lot because the first one we had was an hour and a half like it's kind of crazy that this one which I think is just it shows how you can tell really strong stories with economy I don't know. It just, it was, it really hit me. I teared up in several moments and yeah, yeah, it's definitely my favorite, but let's just talk about it right now because I feel like this is the main takeaway of this episode. I think we've said that this was soft and dark and soft and dark, but this episode really went there with the darkness and a Clone Wars level that I just feel like we haven't seen in Star Wars animation since the Clone Wars. And I was kind of blown away. I teared up because I was like, oh my God, this is so violent. And I feel like it immediately raised the stakes for the show in a way that I wasn't expecting. I think we all know the Empire is bad guys, but like when we see that kind of happen, we're like, oh my God, wow. They're really in deep in this aftermath of Order 66. And that was a lot. Yeah, I think there are moments throughout Star Wars that always kind of stand out as really stark reminders of just how evil the Empire is. And the Clone Wars definitely was a very dark show, right? Like, that's kind of always the joke. Like, it's billed as a kid's show, but oh my God. <laughs> you get into it and you're like, you're like, wow. The darkest stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, of course, Bad Batch being the continuation of the Clone Wars, it makes sense that it would continue to have these really dark moments. But I think it's good to have these kinds of things thrown throughout Star Wars altogether. Like, this is one of those things I think that kind of rises to the top of things I will think about in the future of, wow, Star Wars is dark. Like, we have this moment with Crosshair. You think about the end of Rogue One with Vader. You think about even, like, the beginning of Force Awakens with the villagers and everything that happens there. And then, of course, blowing up Alderaan in A New Hope and, of course, like, Order 66 itself in uh, – Revenge of the Sith. I almost said (laughs) Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Okay. Don't know what's wrong with me there, but Revenge of the Sith, I got there. And I don't know. I think it's great to have these moments of just remembering that this is a dictatorship and an evil galactic empire. They're evil. Yeah. War crimes. Yeah, exactly. And exactly what they're willing to do and what they demand of the people that are within their ranks. And I think that we'll be talking about this, of course, but the conscripted soldiers and we have Admiral Rampart who talks about it's almost better to have someone who chooses to be loyal to the Empire and like that's a better type of soldier than a clone and the benefits of that. But then, of course, we see the flip side, too, and the nuance of all of this. You, you mentioned resistance. We have great examples of that in resistance where Tam talks about her family working for the Empire out of sheer necessity to put food on the table and how 
you know, that didn't make her family bad people because they were just doing what they had to do to survive. In Lost Stars, we see examples of this too. You know, the nuances in all of these political and galactic factions is always there. And this is just one of the very extreme examples of the evil side of it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the title because I think it's sneaky as usual with these Star Wars titles. What do the replacements refer to? I really love this title. I know we spent a ton of time talking about episode titles in season seven of Clone Wars. I think mm-hmm. more in some episodes, it was we spent way too long <laughs> talking about the title. I'm thinking particularly of Shattered and what is the Phantom Apprentice? Is that what yeah. it was called? Yeah. Spent a lot of time talking about those titles. I think that Aftermath and Cut and Run were kind of obvious and I think honestly it took me a second with replacements to be like what and then it it all clicked and I was like oh (laughs) Oh, okay (laughs) of course we have the physical need of the ship for getting the replacement part that needs to be replaced back into the ship that's kind of the MacGuffin of the episode with our Bad Batch and Omega and Hunter that's what they're going after right I would say that's like the easy theme like the replacement part right that we see physically explored in the episode then we have i think kind of the next level of omega replacing crosshair that's a com not a conversation but we kind of start to see that happening throughout this episode as they're talking about missing crosshair while also making omega a real part of their crew quote-unquote officially with wrecker making her her own room and i think this was pretty symbolic too when omega finds crosshair's weapons kit that she's the one that finds it that's obviously pretty symbolic. And then super high level that I think we're going to be exploring throughout the entirety of this series is the replacement of clones with conscripted soldiers. And eventually those conscripted soldiers with brainwashed soldiers too in the future of the sequel trilogy timeline. Yeah, you summed it up completely. I think that it's really interesting that this question of will Omega replace... Okay, so clearly Omega is the the addition to the Bad Batch that they didn't get crosshair but they got omega and is it a swap will it be a replacement for good what's going to happen with crosshair i think this show actually this episode in particular as dark as it was for crosshair it did give me a glimpse of there's a shot where the new group with crosshair comes back to where they all used to live on camino and the the place is brand new it's shiny that's bachelor pad Yes, the Bad Bad Bachelor pad, but it's no longer the Bad Bad Bachelor pad. No. Instead, it is this like shiny, uniform, boring place that still has like the skull symbol, but it's clean now, basically. They moved, um, I remember in the first episode, they moved all their stuff out. The exactly. Did, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's really, I don't know, it was really interesting because there's this moment where he sits on his bed and the camera kind of lingers for just a little too long where you wonder if, okay, so is Crosshair fully aware of what he's doing? The answer is probably yes, but his brain is telling him that that's good. But, how, you know, he's not he's not a reg, as they say. How much of it does he recognize is happening? And is there a little bit in him that realizes what he's doing? And I would say because it's Star Wars, I think there is. And there is good in him. Of course, it's more complicated than Anakin, I guess, when you make that comparison, just because there's like an actual mechanism versus someone's choices. And I think that if Crosshair was given the choice, he would choose for good, which I guess is kind of proves the point. You know what I mean? 
I don't know. I, I guess I got a, a glimpse in in this episode that maybe there was something more going on in in his brain than just the chip up to one hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I think that's such an interesting conversation because in episode one, before that happened, his choice was you know to kill Caleb, right? To kill Keenan. Yeah. That's what he was wanting to do. Yes, but he, his chip was activated though, unlike the others. I don't. Well, did they say that? Yeah, they did. They did. Okay, it just was, wasn't as as much. I was like, I I don't remember them saying that. I think I I remember them being like, oh, is that why? But not having confirmation because Tech did talk about how it didn't work in them, and then how Echoes was probably like so shot from everything that happened to him. Well, then from there, it does make you make you wonder. Like, even this conversation that we're having right now, like, maybe they did confirm it and, like, I'm misremembering or they didn't confirm it and I'm misremembering. Regardless, are we left with this sort of, like, hazy understanding of what actually happened with Crosshair? Did he actually make the choice or did he not? And, like, how much of that was, like, on this meter of, like... Barometer? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) On this barometer of, like, doing dark deeds versus choosing to not like where was he this barometer of like free will really of what was crosshair's choice exactly and and is he experiencing any regret in this moment that you're talking about in uh the former bad batch bachelor pad yeah yeah and i think that he is just because of the way that the camera worked yeah it'll see it'll be really interesting to see that play out yeah and especially because tech had said later on um or at the beginning of the episode he said, quote, it's worth noting the possibility that Crosshair's actions were influenced by his inhibitor chip. And influenced is not the same as made the choice or forced him. Like mm-hmm. the line could have been, it's worth noting the possibility that Crosshair's actions were forced by his inhibitor chip. But yeah. the word they chose there was influenced. And those are different, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, like in a story, it's more interesting if like the, the question of free will is on the table, if you don't actually know for sure what's going on. It's yeah. more interesting if it's hazier until the very end, you know? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that's what's great is to see because the it's clear in this episode that the the Bad Batch, right, they finally talk about how they miss Crosshair. Well, it seems like at least Hunter and Wrecker miss Crosshair. Mm-hmm. We don't really hear Tech say anything emotional about it. And Echo says, he shot you, remember, yeah. to, to Wrecker. So it's not super clear where those two stand. It's clear where I think Omega, Wrecker, and Crosshair stand. And, you know, I, I'd probably say it's kind of similar for Echo and Tech, but it hasn't been verbalized by them in the same way. But the sympathy for Crosshair, if you use a word like forced in that sentence versus influence, I think is different for the audience and especially for an audience that is watching the bad batch show without having watched clone wars because i think an audience like us that met crosshair in clone wars obviously we're a lot more sympathetic to him we know him a lot better have more of an attachment i think but i don't know if that's necessarily true for people that are only coming into the Bad Batch without having watched Clone Wars. Maybe mm-hmm. it is. And I think that moments like we're talking about at the end in the bunker really appeal to that humanity and to that sympathy for him. But I wonder, again, like the barometer of sympathy for Crosshair, <laughs> yeah. how it compares to different audiences. Yeah. Speaking of barometer for sympathy, I think it's really interesting that when Omega and Hunter are walking along and talking about Crosshair, Omega gets Hunter to admit that Hunter's mad at himself, not Crosshair, for 
not going back for him for not like helping him or anything like that and I feel like that really points to a redemption point honestly I feel like it can't not (laughs) and I thought that this was really just a good character moment because it really showed how selfless Hunter is and more and more I just find his character to be really good like it's just really well written I really like him and I don't know, like, I just, I really liked him. I like him. I like seeing him on screen. I like seeing him talk with Omega. And I feel like in this moment, I really got an understanding that he really values the found family, the family that he has with the Bad Batch, Clone Force 99 together now, especially now. And I feel like watching him kind of grow to be, maybe not even grow, maybe he was like this all the time, like just being like really protective of his like squad is just really nice and like there's no caveats there you know what I mean I feel like he's kind of broken up because of what he witnessed with Crosshair before but at the same time he's like no he's like my brother I wish that I went back for him I don't leave people behind just like I didn't leave you behind Omega you know yeah yeah and I think him having this even though I don't think the Bad Batch fully understand the inhibitor chip yet Mm -hmm. and and what it does because tech is like working on some kind of machine or something to scan their respective inhibitor chips or like how it works for them as the Bad Batch. I don't think they really understand that yet. And so I think even having just like that small notion that the Kaminoans, the Empire did something to Crosshair against his will, that also like really gets to Hunter too. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like you're talking about that feeling of failing as the leader of the group, of leaving him behind. I'm feeling the same way about how we as an audience don't understand what the Bad Batch knows about the inhibitor chips the same way that I felt in The Mandalorian about being kind of frustrated that Din didn't know anything about the Force or like we didn't know how much he knew. And <laughs> didn't even seem to have heard the word the force. Yeah, it's it's just so confusing. Yeah. And I feel kind of like this where I just feel like it's a little muddy and I know it's muddy on purpose, but I feel a little lost about like, OK, so what are the specifics that they know? OK, so do they just know it exists because I can work with that or what? You know, with yeah. with Din, I was like, OK, so truly what do you know about the forest can Someone you give the man a spell this book. out yes please throw him a history book oh my god <laughs> i wanted ahsoka to fly his butt to octo and give him the jedi records the I jedi it's like could, could ahsoka do the like mind thing that she right. was doing with grogu to like transfer knowledge transfer some information <laughs> anyway but as an audience member i just feel a little like Okay, so basically I just need the Bad Batch to get to Rex because he's going to be able to answer the questions because he lived through it and Ahsoka did the surgery and I just feel like there's there's some knowledge there that could be shared and needs to be shared. It's just confusing because we heard Tech say, oh, it's the inhibitor chip. I thought it was obvious. And it's like, dude, it's not. My other question in this episode is when is Tech going to, you know, have a serious sit down with Omega? (laughs) Because when they're talking about that, when Tech says it's worth noting the possibility that Crosshair's actions were influenced by his inhibitor chip, Omega responds, that's what they're designed to do. Or I, I think it's Wrecker or Echo in the middle of that that says something like they can do that. And mm-hmm. Omega says, that's what they're designed to do. And I'm like, episode one, Omega has just been in the background like, yeah, the inhibitor chip. It's the inhibitor chip. That's what its purpose is. 
That's what it does. The inhibitor chip. <laughs> and Tex just like, do 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 do. I'm like, what else does she know? I know. Again, with like I in the beginning of the show, I said that the show isn't necessarily falling into those miscommunication tropes. But now talking through it, it kind of is. But it's also not. I don't it's know. Really it's just, just tech. It's just tech. What and is- I, I think that in, in our Discord this morning yeah. we were talking about it, we're all kind of suspicious of tech. <laughs> it's funny. Not suspicious in like the way that Crosshair exists. It's more like, okay, my guy, please let on what you know. And it's it's funny. It's a good little joke that they have basically running each episode now about tech knowing something and no one else knowing it you know but at the same time with something like this it's like okay so you just lay out what you know and then have a conversation with omega because clearly omega as a medical assistant might actually have some knowledge of this and and that's this (laughs) specialty clone yeah yeah exactly i'm sure if someone asked her like hey do you know what your purpose was as a clone she'd be like oh yes here it is. Yeah. But no one has asked her yet. <laughs> well, okay. So then just to pump our brakes a little bit. It's only episode three. Okay. You know, I know, I know. I know. And we really only have just started to spend time with Omega. So we're, we're just, we're barely we're under 25% in. of this season. We are very early in this season, but it's going to be, I'm excited to see what exactly Omega knows. Because I think that you do have to be careful with characters like tech and wrecker that they don't just become the fix it for every problem kind of automatically right and they can kind of do anything if the situation requires it like tech always having the answer of what to do with you know any given piece of machinery or ship or technology Mm -hmm. or wrecker literally being able to lift anything right like i mean in the last episode when he pulls the magnet off of the like the what like the parking (laughs) brake off the ship he like rips that off like my guy (laughs) that is some super strength like that's super super strength right and it's not saying obviously they can't do that but I do think you have to be careful for that not to be the easy out in kind of any sticky situation and I think there's gonna come a point pretty soon where Omega is actually going to be the one with the solution and the ability whether that's just her knowledge of what she knows or what her actual mutation ability is to get them out of the situation and the others aren't going to be able to well you can argue that that already happened in this episode right i think yeah something that was so cool and again this was a major complaint that i had in the mandalorian and in resistance because it felt like this was happening over and over and over again but at the end when omega basically saves the day by kind of sacrificing herself by crawling into this little cave to meet the dragon she finds a separate way to get the part that doesn't involve using the blaster and killing the dragon. Yeah. This was my major complaint about season two of Resistance. It felt like we were doing this over and over and over again, where it was fighting big beasts to get thing. And it drove me a little bit crazy. And even still with in the Mandalorian with the creatures and it just it it felt really different from the philosophy that we had grown to love in Rebels with our like empathetic character in Ezra who was really communicative with creatures. Creatures, yeah. And even from the iconic Zillow Beast episode of Clone Wars, which Absolutely. that was the whole theme of that episode. Yes. And so basically, when I've watched these other series that follow these shows that have kind of laid the groundwork for, yes, there is another way, which I feel like is a huge part of Star Wars, right? Is that you don't have to fight everything. <laughs> Star Peace, not Star War. 
And I think that, uh, (laughs) I think with this, I don't know, I go back to how we talked about how Omega's potential power is the force or like empathy or something like that, right? And that's what she used here. She used her skills of figuring out what to do, despite the fact that she's, this is like her second planet she's been to. It's not even a planet, it's a moon, first moon ever. So I I feel like this was an occasion of Omega finding a different solution that perhaps the rest of the crew would have and she did exactly what she needed to do and this is only the beginning i think of us seeing her powers also i want to talk a little bit about them encountering a dragon i think that we've talked about dragon symbolism a lot on this show but i would say that this dragon was super cool the way it ate electricity and then it had this like beautiful light effect that happened when it ate it yeah i thought that was amazing i love that I really love the lighting in this scene. It actually like weirdly reminded me of even Ewok Battle for Endor or Caravan of Courage. Like I was getting like those sort of like fairy tale vibes from it. I just thought it would be interesting to talk a little bit about how a dragon is usually a symbol of chaos in like the Western world, but in the Eastern world, it's pretty much a symbol for power, wisdom, and hidden knowledge. And if we can consider that Omega is using her own knowledge that is perhaps hidden to the rest of the Bad Batch crew. This is like a perfect example of Omega using her hidden knowledge or whatever we're going to find out is her power. And I would even argue that perhaps what if we're on this like wild goose chase with her about trying to label what she is and like maybe she's not anything but like a true empath, like someone who really understands how to communicate with other people. And like that is her superpower, which is a superpower in itself. And I still kind of feel like she's force sensitive in some way injected with some midi chlorians or something in the similar way what we saw happening to grogu at least in the very beginning of the mandalorian with that one dr pershing who was performing tests on grogu i still kind of feel like there's a connection there just because of camino but i'm also not positive and i feel like there's been a lot of theories being thrown around right now and it just gets me a little worried that we're like going into an area of a bunch of different theories and the theories that come out or like might be true might be a little disappointing but i will happily say that i have not come across a theory that i like throw my nose up in disgust with yet i feel like all of the ones that i've seen are plausible including the palpatine ones mm. and i'm not I don't even hate that one. I'm not going to lie. I really don't. I feel like because I really like Omega so much, I feel like it could be okay. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I, yeah. You know, I, I don't need her. I would rather this girl also not be a Palpatine clone. I'm just <laughs> going to put that out there. You know? You mean I, you don't want to go through that again? No, <laughs> I don't. And, and especially being another girl, I just I, – I just – I don't want that guy. So I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> I just feel like I do – even if she's not a clone, I do feel like there's enough to point to that perhaps she's part of Palpatine's like grand plan. Because at the end of the day, the clones were also part of Palpatine's grand plan. So like, how does she fit into that too? Or is it, as it was alluded in this episode, it seems like Nalise and like the that other Kaminoan are kind of shady. <laughs> they have some, at the end of it, they were talking about they needed one person because Django's DNA had began to degrade. And she said the, she said the line, such a contingency cannot be created without a direct source. And honestly, by her using the word contingency, I had like so many pre the rise of Skywalker flashbacks <laughs> with the whole 
Palpatine contingency plan that was put in place before Return of the Jedi. Actually, it was probably put in place like way before in like Revenge of the Sith. And I'm just not remembering because it's been a while since I've thought about it. And just it felt like that line, that word was it's just it felt significant. It felt significant. And because of that, I do feel like maybe she's not a Palpatine clone, but maybe she does fit into Palpatine's ability to harness his life force after his own death. And I don't know how that's going to work and if that gets too freaky weird, but we'll see. Yeah, I listen, I'll say this. I really hope she's not a Palpatine clone. As far as her powers, kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier of just being like a true empath, I think that this is something that we see Jedi kind of taking advantage of all the time. And I think we Mm -hmm. read about it more often in books and stuff and honestly in a lot of fan fiction too. So take that as you will. But like being able to read the tone of the room and the emotions of other people. I think we see Jedi doing that a lot too, even like in Attack of the Clones with before they meet Padme and Obi-Wan's like, you're really stressed. <laughs> and Anakin's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and then, you know, like Obi-Wan being like, be mindful of your thoughts and like they betray you and stuff like that. So this is all a part, like even if she's not Jedi for sensitive, and I think that could be part of the experiment too. And if you can read people emotions like that you can also manipulate them too even if you're not able you know to like have the same kind of physical capabilities of a jedi being able to manipulate people's emotions even just by knowing them is a very powerful tool to have so i think that could be a part like part of what they're leading up to i'm really glad that the that camino i i hope is going to become a major player in this show because they really always are in the background of stuff and it's like time to finally bring them to the forefront and see what the heck they're doing on there what their end goal is what are other Kaminoans like this also came up in our discord where do they grocery shop where are they living do they have schools school buses school boats per se Uh, you know (laughs) school boats (laughs) It's just we only see kind of this cloning factory on Camino, but what else is there? They say that they need the clones, the contract for their survival. What does that mean? Is that like a money thing? Is it just money? Is it actual like physical survival? How many Kaminoans are there still on Camino? Are all of these Kaminoans aware of the cloning facilities going on? You know, I think there's a lot that we don't know about these people and are we going to get sympathy for their goal of keeping this contract with the empire or are we just going to continue down a shadier and shadier path? I don't know because really we only know, I think like three <laughs> Kaminoans. I would say that just due to George Lucas's original source material and his attitude, I would say the Kaminoans, we shouldn't trust them because of their shady yeah. business dealers and big business is an enemy in Star Wars and George is very much on the record talking about that, especially in Attack of the Clones. And yeah. I feel like that that was when Camino first began. So I don't necessarily think we're gonna have we'll probably have like a little bit of sympathy just because that's the way it works. But I do think that they will remain on the bad side. I think so too. That's definitely the vibe I have now from them. But I think In regards to Palpatine's contingency plan, I definitely don't think Omega and whatever kind of experiments she's a part of or was created from on Kamino, I don't think that's a part of Palpatine's contingency yet. I'll put that in parentheses simply because, you know, we saw Lamasu, I think, let her go. They haven't told the Empire that she's with 
the Bad Batch. I don't think the Empire knows that she's this like experimental clone, honestly. I think they're confused and it's they think it's Echo. They think Echo's the fifth one. And mm-hmm. we have Tech point out right in episode one that Echo's not actually a Bad Batch clone. It's Omega. Um, she's the fifth one. So I don't think that the Empire really understand Omega. And I think the Kaminoans are keeping it that way. And that is part of their conversation at the end of the episode. And having a direct source. Again, I do think many clones Jedi are involved here. If they were trying to clone Jedi, again, I think that's like the best type of clone you could have. A Force-sensitive user that has an inhibitor chip. I feel like that would be the goal. And I feel like the Kaminoans would want that. And the fact that in episode one, we had a Jedi body that was being taken out of Kamino. Were there other Jedi or other people that were force sensitive that the Kaminoans kidnapped across the galaxy? Like, I don't know. This could really go a lot of places. We've seen Palpatine in Clone Wars try to kidnap uh, force sensitive babies. So like, that's not out of the realm of possibility. And I'm sure there are force sensitive people out there that never went to the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And either just have latent powers or are hiding their powers. You know what I mean? So I, I kind of think the sky's the limit there. And again, in, in kind of going on in this monologue about Camino and, like you said, big business, I think you're right. Like we're shown time and time again that big business is in it for the money. And that mm-hmm. is like a huge theme, right? That's pretty explored in The Last Jedi, I think, really well. And in The Clone Wars, too. All that to say, I think that the one that they're referring to at the end of the episode is Omega and getting Omega back because they say that Django's DNA is degrading. They can't use it anymore. So it's not, it doesn't sound like they can make more hunters and wreckers and techs and echoes and crosshairs. I think it's going to be more Omegas and whatever that means. (laughs) Totally. But let's talk about the conscripted soldiers. This was really interesting. I was not expecting to have a full kind of squad just appear of these conscripted soldiers were you no but it makes sense because they were there has to be something that is at odds with the bad batch that's not just one person but a representative of an entire evil organization and how else are they going to tell the story of what happens to the clone army as it slowly transformed into the into the stormtroopers that we know aren't clones and i feel like this is a really good like place for them to explore this you know and i also think it's really cool that we have the the title of project war mantle which is a rogue one connection i think Jin says it when she's looking in in the records on scarif mm-hmm. um yeah and i think that there is like there's going to be i think i don't know i've seen a lot of people talk about this it's not just my idea but what if there was like a clone uprising that they were being replaced with conscripted soldiers and how how do we get from like point a to point b i guess this is something that happened in legends i don't know but i feel like it makes sense that they would have this we we would have this like shadow squad right that like paralleled the bad batch in this like evil way as they you know do basically the opposite yeah yeah i think that it was surprising given i don't even know if they had names but the kind of leader of these conscripted soldiers was really kind of against crosshair and then he was the one who ended up having like the morals at the end the same as mm-hmm. hunter on onderon to be like yeah no we're not doing this and then he is killed <laughs> by crosshair immediately and that this is the really dark part of the episode when they kill all the civilians and even crosshair shooting 
the pilot of that ship kind of as they were going away, like right through the cockpit. I was like, oh, that was so much. That was the worst of it all. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, I, I really liked the conversation between Crosshair and the conscripted clones. And even Crosshair isn't saying a lot, but you can really kind of see the wheels turning in his head. This sent the wheels turning in my head kind of about all of the social hierarchies uh, with the clones and Star Wars and particularly through Clone Wars and now into Bad Batch. And, you know, there's I don't really know how to describe it, but yeah, like the social hierarchy, right? Like all in the Clone Wars, the Jedi were in charge of the clones, right? And then you had the Bad Batch who kind of saw themselves as superior to the, you know, the regs. But then the regs kind of had that complete opposite view of the Bad Batch, that they were malfunctioned clones and not great. Then you have these conscripted soldiers that we see in this episode wondering why, you know, a mere clone is in charge of them, almost seeing them as not human. It's kind of the implication given by that one guy. And then we have Crosshair, who is actually put in charge by the Empire over the conscripted soldiers. When we see the clones repeatedly referred to as property by the Kaminoans in this episode, and then also throughout the cloners themselves. And that's kind of how they are introduced in Attack of the Clones, too. And so I think it's just, I found it really kind of fascinating, all of these, like, who has the authority in a given situation, and kind of what it means, like the implications for it in in each kind of scenario. I don't know. I I thought it was really great. And I think that's going to be a big theme going through because clearly with the Empire, they're still making that decision, right, of what's better to more clones or conscripted soldiers. Admiral Rampart is for conscripted soldiers. Eventually we'll get to brainwash soldiers and not have to deal with, you know, the hassle as the Empire would see it of creating and like maintaining a clone factory when you can just kidnap children from around the galaxy and will those like d- is finn ever sent back to camino when he's kidnapped as a baby to have his brain washed brain scraped mm. you know th- that's kind of what i'm thinking of and of course uh, you know i at the bottom of this rabbit hole right was the day floaty quote which <laughs> 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 usually is but <laughs> you know before bad batch came out and even throughout clone wars a lot of these clone stories were about the humanity of the clones and what it is and we talked about this quote before bad batch came out and i wanted to bring it up again because i think it fits in nicely with this episode we're going to be a broken record on this throughout this season, throughout this series about, you know, free will, personal choice, what is the purpose of a clone. And I think this is all stuff that Star Wars, its creators are thinking about, too. And I also really love bringing up quotes from creators like years and years ago. The quote I'm going to be talking about in just a second is from 2012. It was posted before, like a month before the Disney sale, like September 2012. And I don't know. I think that's one of the great joys of Star Wars is being able to track these story threads, these ideas, these ways of thinking about certain themes and see how they either change throughout time or how they really are magnified throughout mm-hmm. time in different stories, you know? And I think that's yeah. I think that's really cool. And this one I think is magnified. And this was posted in 2012. It was a a one-minute Q&A episode on the Star Wars YouTube channel that Dave Filoni (laughs) did. And the fan question that he was answering, the question was, does Rex have a happy ending? And so this is about Rex, but just kind of apply it to clones and, and a lot of what we're talking about here today with the Bad Batch. And so this was Dave Filoni's answer. He said, quote, 
I guess that depends if you like Rex or not. It's really so subjective. There are several ways you can look at it. Is the clone happy if he outlives the Clone War? If he outlives what his original fundamental purpose was? Is there a great honor for them to die in the battlefield? Who can say? Or does Rex learn so much from Anakin and his other friends that he grows out of what his original primary purpose was to be a soldier? Does he become something much more? Or does he really just embody what it means to be a good soldier? To be that person that in his own way, even though he's not Jedi, is selfless because he's fighting for the rights and the freedoms of other people, people he'll probably never even meet. You'll have to judge for yourself if he truly has a happy or a sad ending. So that was in 2012, and then a couple years later in 2015 in a Rebels episode where we meet Rex, and of course we have Kanan and Rex and their conflict, and Ezra asks Rex to join them, basically in the rebellion. And Rex says, you know, I'm afraid I've outserved my purpose for that kind of fighting. After the war, I questioned the point of the whole thing. All those men died, and for what? And Ezra says, I guess for what they thought was right. And that was in 2015, and now in 2021, we're kind of continuing this conversation with clones, malfunction clones or mutated clones who have a completely different purpose. And this keyword of like, what is a clone's purpose is like that word, talking about word choice again, comes up so much when we're talking about clones, both in creators like Dave back in 2012, what is their purpose? And then Rex later on in Rebel saying, I've outserved my purpose for that kind of fighting. I don't know. It just, like I said, it really starts the wheels turning in my head. And I thought it was worth bringing up again. I think you asked the question, and I think it's raised in these quotes too, what is a clone's purpose? And I think the show, The Bad Batch, is answering humanity. Of course it is, right? I think with the Clone Wars, that's exactly what the ending kind of showed is even when Ahsoka, you just sent me this clip and I just like, no, I No, we can't. We can't. In season seven, I think it's the finale episode the, yeah, where Ahsoka removes Rex's helmet and Rex is crying underneath the helmet and it's just like really emotional. And basically Ahsoka's talking about how, yes, these clones have no choice to inflict Order 66, but Ahsoka will not kill the clones. And it's so good. It's like such an emotional beat. Kevin Kiner's music could not be better. But I think that the the point is there. And I just, I feel like we're asking the question because I think this is the clone's internal question, right? It's like, who am I? What is my purpose? But what makes the clone so relatable to us, even though we cannot relate to being clones, is we wonder what our own purpose is too. And of course, the everything in fiction is heightened, right? So we're like, we don't have this destined purpose for us that we aren't created for, you know, X reason, the Clone War. But we understand that in order to live our life and to be happy, we must understand our our own humanity and who we are and what and find our purpose beyond something as evil as war. And I think that what's really cool about exploring that question with the Bad Batch is that they've already begun to explore that question because they've already seen themselves as different. But what happens when they have to step back into them not seeing themselves as different? And how do they even go forward with all these different conflicting messaging and images and who they're supposed to be going against them? in this really heightened way, you know, it's, it's a lot. 
Yeah, I think I think the Bad Batch, like they are this great kind of group to focus on in this time period because I think their recognition of their difference is honestly pretty surface level. Yes, like it's, yes. And we kind of even see like that childness of it in the first episode with the food fight, right? It's just you're different, you're different. You you can't sit with us at the lunch table. That's literally what it comes down to, like clicks in the clones <laughs> mm-hmm. of you can't sit with us at the lunch table. And I think that that's kind of what there's amounted to. And we kind of see that in season seven in their arc in the beginning where it's just kind of they're kind of making fun of the regs, the fact that they call them regs, right? It's just like, we're smarter than you. We're stronger than you. We don't have to follow a Jedi around, right? And I think that this series, the big point of it is them, what is our purpose now that there's no war? We are driftless now. And we know better because we don't have these inhibitor chips. And and right, like this whole thing from Dave too about like, is Rex selfless because he's fighting for the rights and freedoms of other people, people who probably never even meet. Can you be selfless when that's all you were created to do? Does Rex have a choice? If he doesn't have a choice, is he being selfless? And that's part of the whole thing, right? Of like watching Rex develop as a character, develop as a person really since he started from a clone. And I think that that is a huge part of what we'll be exploring in Bad Batch. And so it will be really great, you know, hopefully soon once Bad Batch meets up with Rex and I don't know, talk about these things some more. And, you know, it makes me nervous <laughs> when talking about, you know, does Rex have a happy ending? And Dave ends that little Q&A with saying, you'll have to judge for yourself if he truly has a happy or sad ending. And I think that's true of most characters in Star Wars. It's like, does the good outweigh the tragedy? We do say Star Wars is tragedy here, but its foundation is that of hope. And so for some characters, it can feel like that tragic element outweighs that hopeful element and like, which way does the pendulum swing? And that's just, that's the reality sometimes of life and tragic figures and stories are often defined by their tragedy, but they keep pushing forward because of hope. And like, where is the pendulum going to end for these characters? Where did it end for Rex, right? Like even knowing so much more of Rex's story, for example, seeing him in Rebels and of course seeing him burying all of his fellow clones, his brothers at the end of Clone Wars. Like, and it's like, it's like, would, would ignorance have been better? Like, would he, would that have been a happy ending? The ignorance of not knowing, of not having to go through all that? Probably not, but he still had to go through all of it. You know what I mean? And so, like, what are we going to see the Bad Batch go through now that their eyes are opening to the reality of what's going on? Well, just to go back to that question of, like, okay, so if their purpose isn't war, then their purpose is humanity is, like, to be good, right? And to, like, answer this question of, like, if you are you created evil or are you created good? You know, whatever. (laughs) Whatever. It's big. It's it's a big question. (laughs) I just think it's interesting because as the Bad Batch continue to find their humanity, it's like it was never gone from them, but they did help the war, right? I feel like what's interesting is that there was this hesitation, right, with the conscripted clones that Tarkin probably wouldn't appreciate, you know, and that's why Crosshair is there. And I think that it just proves that the empire or a regime, there's this interesting moment where it's clear that the empire is 
ruining that humanity that was ever once present and even just one of those conscripted soldiers who were who was like well I, I don't think we should shoot unarmed prisoners that's not how it works and crosshairs like actually that's how it's going to be and that's why you're hired good soldiers follow orders and shoots them you know and i think that it was so intense it's like i can't even talk about it with like not without like awkwardly laughing because it's just like so intense so we have on the one side of the bad batch like finding their humanity their purpose or a greater purpose right a higher purpose or whatever that is and then here we have proof that even in this squad the empire or the regime or the war will like carve out any part of humanity there based off of programming based off of orders based off of the war itself yeah it's it's super complicated and i think it's actually worth bringing up uh, now, we should have brought this up at the beginning, but the writer of this, Matt Miknovitz, he's written for Star Wars before. And the episodes that he's written, this was brought up in a thread by at Depa Banana on Twitter. <laughs> but great handle. But the uh, the writer for this episode, Matt Miknovitz, he's written for the Clone Wars and Rebels. And some of the other arcs that he wrote specifically are Umbara, the Umbara arc from Clone Wars, the Citadel arc from Clone Wars, and the Legends of Lasat from Rebels. And all of those arcs in particular are very heavy handed in these, like qu- everything that we're talking about, really, like these questions of humanity and like purpose and stuff like that. And specifically Umbara, too, of like the clones' humanity. I don't know. It just, I, I thought it was worth bringing up because this is obviously a pretty significant theme. And this is not something that's new to the writer of this episode, which I think is cool. Yeah, absolutely. Let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk a little bit about how Wrecker bumps his head. We haven't Aww. talked about it. Oh, <laughs> I know. Okay. So, from, deep the purpose of humanity. I know where we went from like Wrecker got a boo boo. <laughs> but, yeah. Okay. But, but, but that boo boo could turn <laughs> out to be not a good situation because in the Clone Wars, Tup's head hurt a lot when his chip was malfunctioning. I'm really worried that he hit his head and something like activated with the chip. Like push the on button. I'm just really stressed because I feel like first off, Wrecker has had such great character moments in this show so far. He is the biggest teddy bear with a teddy bear, you know? And I think that they just continue to build him up as like the softest guy especially when he makes Omega her own room and gives, oh my God, and gives Omega Lula. Mm. Oh my God. Rip your heart out. Then he hurt his head and he talks about it like a couple times, right? That his head hurts. (laughs) And it's never, never resolved. And I'm just really worried that something was activated and I just cannot bear the thought of seeing this big teddy bear become a ticking time bomb because he's going to be the worst of them all. He's the strongest guy. I'm just really scared. I'm really scared. They need to find Rex ASAP. I think what's going to happen is there, I think it is going to happen, right? That something, it was like a pretty specific beat, right? Right. He hit his head. And then, like you said, he brings up the boo-boo a couple of times. And I think, especially with the conversation at the end with the Kaminoans about getting back the one, Omega, I think they're going to have to make their way back to Kamino in order to, I don't know, get something to help 
record and they're going to like try and make it like a one-stop shop, right? Like get record the help he needs, get crosshair also the help he needs, and then everyone get, you know, the F off of Camino. I think that's what they're going to try and do and like plan this whole big, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Sorry, there's a recon. Yeah, recon. There's a car beeping outside like someone's oh God. Uh, panic button. <laughs> Just really distracting me for a oh second. Um, but yeah, this like whole big plan, reconnaissance to get it all done at once. And I think that some sad things might happen. <laughs> in I that, am nervous. That whole plot. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked about on the show your theory about how like Hunter – and crosshair and there's going to be a choice between yeah. hunter omega crosshair and i just feel like it's good I, I feel it in my bones even still yeah. and i wonder if is wrecker going to be a part of that like i'm just really nervous because i think that wrecker and omega have a really cute relationship Ugh, and they're clearly so building to something and if i know star wars i know i know they're making me feel warm and fuzzy just to rip my heart out <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Star Wars. <laughs> I actually don't know Star Wars at don't all. Don't know Star Wars. She left me. Yeah. I'm Who just left that? with Lula. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this episode was so great too on the Wrecker Omega front. And I think too, like what we're starting to see is the rest of the Bad Batch become more aware of Omega and what her yes. needs are. You know, like Hunter, of course, had his big episode. He's definitely the most father figure for Omega. He's the most aware of her, I think. And then in this episode, in the beginning, uh, Hunter is like, Omega's going to give Wrecker her ration. And Wrecker immediately goes, yeah, thanks. And Hunter goes, um, I think not. <laughs> She's a child. She doesn't even have a bed. <laughs> now you're going to take her food? And Wrecker's like, oh, oh. <laughs> the fact that she got cozy up near that gonk droid, which we found out its name is Gonky. I cannot get it's over so it. I, it's so cute. I, this show has really cute elements, which is why the darkness in this episode really surprised me and took yeah. me off guard. Mm. And in a good way, I'm just saying, but I think that the fact that the gonk droid's name is Gonky is like actually made my entire day when I found that out yesterday. Like um Artui. You know what? Same energy, but the fact that this gonk droid's actual name is Gonky is yes. even cuter than yeah. Ahsoka's pet name for Artui. <laughs> and I feel like it was just so cute that she was, like, getting comfy. Something I really like about the show, too, I was talking about how, like, the show doesn't fall into the conventions before, right? But one of them that I like is that none of the Bad Batch is, like, disgusted by this girl who's with them. And they could easily fall into that of, like, what's this that other shows have definitely done before about, like, who is this girl who has never been in our space before now exists here? It's more like oh no she's here and she's part of our crew and she needs a room and i'm gonna build her a room you know and she's there's so no cute. there's no question it's so adorable and i think that i'm so happy that it doesn't fall into that convention because i i find that a little like i'm over that i don't need that <laughs> yeah it's like once hunter points out omega's needs wrecker is like oh okay i'll meet them and he, you know, he can't create more food out of thin air, more rations. 
but he creates her this space and this like really adorable space too. Like you can see there's like different colored cloths on the wall, I guess like tarps or whatever they have lying around. And then he strings up the lights, right? They're obviously not fairy lights, but he strings up lights in there. And it just like the difference between that area of the ship and the rest, like it is, it's childlike. It's for a child. And he puts he puts Lula in there. It's just it's so personal, and those bookending moments with Wrecker, I thought were just so great. And so we good. and the the closing shot too is is up from Omega's perspective. She is the biggest thing in that frame. The ending shot of the episode. It's her that like warm candlelight glow over her face, and then the rest of the Bad Batch, like, below her on that lower level, looking up, and then they're mm-hmm. all kind of, you know, in that frame in kind of a diagonal line. But Omega is front and center. She's the one that's bathed and in that kind of hero. I know we're, like, winding down, but I wanted to mention that AZI, that droid, is alive. They rebuilt him. They Claps made him, him better. I really like him, so I'm glad. I know. I'm so happy because if you remember, I was like, I cannot believe they killed him right away. It was, (laughs) he was so good. And now he's back and I'm happy about it. I also want to say that the vibe of this episode in the, when they landed on the moon, it could have easily, and I think it did, they fell into some of the Star Warsian contraptions of Empire. Yeah, of Empire with, especially when Omega was sitting in the front see and then she saw the dragon go by it was just like and she screamed just like leia did when she saw the minoc but i think the entire vibe really reminded me of alien and the alien prequels more so than the sequels and i think that they probably took a lot of inspiration from ridley scott because there was just a lot of really cool things like i really liked when they saw the the scars i guess on the or the claw marks or the slashes or whatever the slashes thank you on the ship thought that was good i don't know it got a really good creepy vibe from the entire thing but it wasn't over the top it was just they built a lot of really good tension yeah yeah i thought so too it wasn't over the top especially because they like go out and explore the moon more to find the part the only other thing i wanted to bring up was actually two things one another wrecker and omega moment that i loved was in the beginning of the episode when they're gonna crash oh my god (laughs) wrecker's like freaking out and hunter's like strap omega down (laughs) and he puts her in that seat and it like does nothing right it's like you must be 43 inches taller to ride this ride like the the, it does not fit her and then they do this very clear angled comparison with wrecker of how it's much too small for him and way too big for omega but they're both sitting there with the same emotion of i'm gonna die i'm gonna die (laughs) I was dying when he was like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. He's like, it's going to be fine. It's fine. It's fine. Oh my God, it's fine. I can't believe I said that. Yeah, And then the only other thing I wanted to mention too is that this episode kind of clearly ushers in Admiral Rampart as our main villain for this uh, series. I think at the end of it, Tarkin is like, all right, well, I'll leave you to it. And, you know, yeah. we've got that transition of, uh, you know, Tarkin made his appearance and his authority known but now it's admiral rampart very similar to the way that callus and and like we see in most star wars animated shows callus became like our main villain the one hunting the rebels throughout the show rebels and even having someone like gideon in mandalorian is kind of the biggest threat from the empire looks like that's going to be admiral rampart for bad batch 
Yeah, when you said that and you wanted to point out Admiral Rampart as like the new villain, I kind of was filled with a little bit of dread just because I feel like in Rebels, at least, I felt like these villains were kind of disposable, kind of one note. Callus is the exception to the rule, obviously, but I just never really connected with their evilness or anything. They just kind of felt like cardboard cutouts to me. Hopefully this is a little different because obviously we don't see him in Rogue One or anything else, but that doesn't mean anything. Galaxy's a big place. I just, um, I'm like, okay, here we go with another guy. I don't know. <laughs> That's kind of how I felt. <laughs> is it, okay. Doesn't he look like the guy in Pitch Perfect? I don't know who you mean when you say that. The main guy in Pitch Perfect. The, the Anna Kendrick. Yeah, he kind of does look like it. that. Yeah, he kind of looks like keep, him. Keep that in your head next time you watch. Next time he comes up. Okay, just remember the guy from Pitch Perfect that Anna Kendrick gets with. <laughs> that's funny i don't know why but when i watched him in this episode i was like huh yeah (laughs) anyway i see that but like to me that's even just like not that exciting honestly like i don't find that exciting (laughs) like that character type that care like the character itself whatever there maybe he'll end up being my fave i don't know i think it will be he's not for the clones at all so he's gonna want all of the clones taken out regardless i think and he's gonna want to prove that his idea was the best so he is always going to be setting up crosshair and the rest of the clones to fail so i think that will be interesting to watch yeah as and we'll see if he like even goes up the ranks and becomes a moth himself or something like that which i find very interesting so yeah we, we'll see we'll see I didn't you're, you're right he's just like he's just like he's an evil evil guy right now you know yeah like, exactly where, where's just the a death? little little one little note. one note <laughs> one trick pony i hate the clones yeah exactly Rampart, Admiral Rampart, the one trick pony, the evil one trick pony. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's not. You never know. So far, he's our evil one trick pony, and I'm okay calling him that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, is there anything else that we wanted to bring up for this episode? I don't think so. Again, I just really enjoyed it, and I'm ready for next Friday right now. Yeah, me too. I am too. Very much so. All right. Well, that is going to conclude this week's episode all about the Bad Batch uh, episode three replacements. If you enjoyed it and you want to talk to us some more online about it, you can find us at Sky Talkers Pod on Twitter or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher and Charlotte's is at Crarity. We also have our Instagram, our Facebook, our website, skytalkers.com. We also have our TikTok where we're talking about all of this stuff. We're trying to. We're, we're learning TikTok, guys. So <laughs> please come and follow us there and join in the conversation there, too. And uh, if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, we would love it if you took a second to go and do that. It helps other people find our show and join in the conversation, too. And if you're looking for other ways to support us, you can also head over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons. Jackson, Lauren, Mike, Alex, B, Bailey, Becca, Brendan, Chris, David, Diana, Dylan, Emma, Eric, Fifi, Froppy, Jacqueline, and James. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.